All right, wonderful testimony by Daniela. Hey, reset my clock. Hey, let me get 45 minutes today, okay? All right. How's everybody feeling? How was the Emmaus video? I'm going to have to check it out a little bit later. I was uh, making sure that today's, today's, uh, today's food will be good and tasty and full of nutrition. I don't want to just give you all a Big Mac and some French fries. Going to bring, bring some uh, nutrition today, amen? All right, so let me start because I don't got much time here. All right, very good. All right, today I am continuing the third message in a series that I'm doing on finances. It's going to cover wealth, poverty, finances. And so today's the third message, and I need everybody to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 20. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 20 is probably a, a sermon that you probably want to take notes on. Because all of you really need to take notes on this. Because this is not something that comes automatic or natural. It's something that we need to have clear insight on. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 20. I just want to welcome all the uh, college students that are here. At our church for the first time today, where are y'all? Uh, who are, is your first time today? You're an exchange student, you're a college student from Yonsei? Well, y'all don't want to raise your hand? I see some of y'all. All right, welcome, welcome. So glad you can join us. All right, I hope you can read. You're in college, right? Let's read Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 20. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made, you a, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of its possessions. And they told him a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, Well, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one. Who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's the word of the Lord today. Chapter 12 here, Jesus tells his disciples to beware at the earlier in the chapter. He tells his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he goes on into an intense teaching on being courageous in the face of persecution. That's the context. He's giving a sermon, an intense one at that. That's a heavy topic. On persecution. And then some knucklehead comes and interrupts Jesus. With a domestic dispute that had nothing to do with the sermon topic. Look at verse 13. Middle of the sermon. This guy says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Now, first of all, this ignorant homie <laughs> calls Jesus teacher, but he has no regard for Jesus' teaching. Secondly, you notice he gives Jesus a command. It's not, can you ask my brother? It says, tell my brother. The verb in the Greek is an aorist active imperative. This, this is giving a command to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but you don't want to be commanding God what to do. You know what I'm saying? So, so you can proper, properly understand that why Jesus' answer here was not very friendly. All right, look at, look, look at verse 14. He says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Man, you might be like, well, Jesus, how come you weren't more nice about that? You know, they, they just need, they have a little domestic dispute. Just settle it. Help them settle it. Right? But you got to understand, man, Jesus was teaching an intense sermon on persecution. And he gets interrupted like this. I mean, Jesus is essentially saying, yo, 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 man, did you just hear what I was preaching? Who made me your lawyer? All right? And then Jesus goes, you know what? I'm going to go off on a little tangent while we're at it. And Jesus teaches us here about covetousness. Everybody say covetousness. covetousness. Look at verse 14. No, verse 15. Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be on your guard. Tell your neighbor, be on your guard. Now, in the New Testament, there are two Greek words for the word covet. can be translated as the word covet. One is pleonexia, uh, which means greedy desire to have more, covetousness, avarice, which is an old word for extreme greed, extortion, unjust gain, like using fraud. So this is the very most common word that's used for coveting. It's pleonexia. And then there's another word called epithumeo, which can have a positive or a negative connotation. But it can also be used to lust after and covet something, especially things that are forbidden. Now here in this passage, the Greek word pleonexia is used. And the English definition of the word covet is to yearn to possess or have something. Right? Seems like a harmless thing. Hey, I like your tie. I wish I could have it. Hey, I like your glasses. I like your hairstyle. I wish I had hair like you so I can get a hairstyle like that. You know? Seems like a harmless thing to yearn to possess or have something. But let me, let me talk about covetousness here today. Now, I pointed out last week that the demographic of our church is, is lower middle class. And I don't know what class you thought you were in. <laughs> but let me tell you something. All of us, did, we don't have much money. If we ever wanted to own property in the city, I mean, let me shake it. It would take many, many years. Living in a big, expensive city with a high cost of living here, where rent, it's so darn high. We, we is not the middle class. We are the lower middle class. All right. We are lower middle class. But because the call of God is on this house to impact this city, 
I talked about how important it is that we awaken, we awaken to the vision for social mobility upwards. And this is not an inherently evil, greedy, or selfish ambition. The visions of luxury should not be our inspiration, but the stewardship of God's call should be our primary inspiration for the social mobility upwards. And, you know, when you, when you have the call of God at the center, you have Christ at the center of this vision. Lying, stealing, bribery, these are not options when you're pursuing Christ-centered vision. And no matter what social class we are in, I preached also last week that the gospel demands that we also have a social mobility downwards. That we are willing to associate and love the poor, the oppressed, the broken. This is because in the gospel, in the incarnation, Jesus, the Bible says, made the greatest social mobility downward ever. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, I forgot to mention this last week. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty, yet. That through his poverty, you might become rich. That's what the Bible says here. I didn't make that up, right? Let me read that again. I checked that up. It says, Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And I believe being rich involves being rich in every way, including finances. In fact, God expects us to take the talents and minus he's given us and to multiply it. To bury them is not just lazy, but it's wicked. He expects us to take our college education and do more than just open up a dry cleaner. You know what I'm saying? Now, I hope that's not your, your dream. If that's your family business, God bless you. But I'm just saying. I hope your, 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 your dream is not just to open up a business and start a family, have some kids, go to church, worship, tithe, and, and die with a smile on your face because you're going to heaven. I mean, really, that is such a small, tiny little vision. You don't really need God to help fulfill that one. That's why a lot of people live as if God don't exist. They don't learn how to pray. They don't learn how to trust God for things. Because their vision for their life is so small. God has blessed us to be a blessing. He has called us to advance the kingdom, the king's dominion on this earth until his return. This includes both evangelism and social justice. And I preached this earlier in the year. To do this, we got to take back the high places in business, in government, reform education, confront human trafficking. Provide hope for the oppressed, the marginalized. But in order to do these things, we got to climb the social ladder. Now, here's the thing about climbing the social ladder. The higher up you go, the more that you got to guard against covetousness. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. We got to guard our hearts against the love of money, against covetousness. 
Now, let me make three points on covetousness so it can kind of help you get a framework for what it is. In Exodus chapter 20, the last of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. In modern lingo, it means you shall not covet your neighbor's mansion. You shall not covet your neighbor's hot smoking wife. You shall not covet his Lamborghini, his Porsche, because y'all, y'all don't know ox and donkeys, right? But we know cars. You shall not covet those things or anything he's got. Coveting and lusting after what someone else has is not just a harmless secret desire. The Bible says it is sin and it is forbidden. So number one, covetousness is sin. For the second point, look at Luke chapter 12. Let's look back on our passage. Look at, look at this parable that we read. The parable of this rich fool. He told him this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones. Therefore, I can store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have plenty. You got enough. Just relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, look at verse 20. Fool. Everybody say fool. fool. Now in Philly, you don't say the L. It's just fool. Yo, fool. What's wrong with you, fool? God says to this rich man, you fool. You knucklehead, you idiot. Okay, I'll stop there. <clears throat> you fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In other words, you're going to die tonight of a crazy heart attack. Who's going to get all this wealth that you accumulated? My second point is real simple. Covetousness is foolishness. It is the most stupid thing in the world. Okay? And let me connect it for y'all. Jesus ends this parable by saying, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Let me go to another parable to explain to you what it means to be rich toward God. Jesus gave a parable called the parable of the sower. And in that parable, he talked about how some seed fell on along the road, birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rock, couldn't take root. And Luke chapter 8, verse 7, some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with those plants and choked it. And then the disciples are like, what does this mean? So poetic, Jesus, can you explain to us what you mean? Is there a Cliff Notes version of this? So Jesus explains later in that chapter, Luke chapter 8, verse 14. He says that seeds that fell among thorns represent those who hear the word, but they end up getting choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Such people do not see the fruit of God's word 
mature in their lives. The cares, riches, and pleasures of life do not inherently prevent God's word from maturing. Rather, it is those who get choked up by these things. Those who get obsessed by these things. Those who covet after these things. When you lust and covet and love the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, the word of God will fail to have fruit and maturity in your life. And it's not the seed of the word of God's fault. It's the soil of your heart. Two wealthy people can sit through the same sermons, listen to the same podcast, worship in the same house, and the fruit of their lives will be determined by whether one guards against covetousness or not. What does it mean to be rich toward God? I believe, I believe that being rich toward God means bearing a lot of fruit. You come to the purdy gates of heaven and you say, hey, God, look at my bank account. Look at all this money I got. God will say, you fool. Why'd you bring all that money up here? You know darn well that ain't going to do you no good here. Show me, show me some, show me some real wealth. So show me what you did with all that. All right. You better show them. Well, well, your word has produced these, this character. This, these many people got saved. These many people I discipled. Remember Jamie Lee, that real troubled girl? Yeah, I discipled that girl, Lord. Look at the fruit of her life. Look how, she, look how she's joyful for you now. Right? That's what it means to be rich toward God. You bring, you take what God gave you, and you bring to him the fruit of what you've done with it. If you, if you take what God gave you and just show God back what he gave you, he's going to call you a fool. That's what covetousness does. Covetousness causes us to be a fool because it's, it's a foolish thing. Now, as I mentioned before, uh, we need to guard ourselves from covetousness as we climb the social ladder. But the truth is, you need to guard yourself from covetousness at any income level. Because you can be guilty of coveting no matter how much money you have. You know, you could be dirt poor and have a habit of covetousness. You can be filthy rich and still be covetous of what someone else has. You know, uh, quite a while ago, there was a movie back in the day called Indecent Proposal with Demi Moore. And in it, there's this wealthy businessman that offers a million dollars to a married couple for one night with that wife. And that, and that, that couple is going through a, a very difficult financial situation. And, and he says, and, and they're having this argue, uh, they're talking, right? While playing pool. And Demi Moore says, well, there's some things money can't buy. And then the rich guy goes, really? Like what? And Demi Moore says, well, well, money can't buy you love. And he said, well, that's so cliche. Let's test that out. What if I said, I will give you guys a million dollars for one night with your wife? 
what would you say? And he looks at the husband and says, what would you say? And Demi Moore says, I'll tell you to go to hell. And then the businessman looks at the husband and says, well, I want to see what your husband says. And the husband says, well, I'll tell you to go to hell. And the businessman says, okay, well, that's what you would say if this was hypothetical. But let's make it real. I will offer you $1 million for one night with your wife. And then the whole movie unravels regarding that scenario. Now, don't go watch the movie, all right? It's not... I didn't watch the movie myself. I just saw that clip to make the sermon illustration, right? This businessman in the movie had all kinds of money, and yet he still had a covetousness issue. As it was in the film, so it is in real life. Think about Tiger Woods. He had all the money, success, fame, and a beautiful wife. Yet he coveted a woman who was not his wife and was found out publicly to be guilty of adultery. You can be poor and be full of covetousness. This is, why, this is the reason why some youth, they were turned toward gangs in poor urban areas. When it comes down to it, it's because of covetousness. Some, some join gangs in order to belong. Those are like the sanguines, you know, the ones that are very relational. But for some of the other personality types, man, they don't join gangs to belong. They join because they want that nice car. They want the Tommy Hilfiger clothes. They want the gold jewelry. All right. Hey, back in the day, that was what was in. All right. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Well, Tommy Hilfiger ain't that popular no more. I'm sorry, all right? Hey. So they look at all these nice jewelry and clothes and cars, and they think, well, following the path of education seems like it's going to take forever. So let me take a little shortcut, because I covet these things. And the shortcut is called gangs, violence, extortion, theft. They don't do it to steal They do it to get the things that they covet. And gangs just becomes a means to get what they have been keeping their eye on. So why is it that covetousness affects people of all income levels? Well, that's real simple. That's because of my third point. Covetousness is deceitful. It is deceitful. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 22, that deceitfulness of riches chokes the word of God. Covetousness is deceitful. Now, I want to go back to my first point, though. I said in my first point, what? Covetousness is sin. Now, let me expand on that. Covetousness is not just sin. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Turn there with me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Let me get all the ladies to look up Ephesians 5, 5. All the men look up Colossians 3, 5 through 6. And all the women look up Ephesians 5, 5. All all the men, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. Let's read that together. One, two, three, go. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, Impurity, 
passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You can stop there. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Interesting. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Look at Ephesians 5, 5. Sisters, could you read that for me? One, two, three, go. For you may be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You see, covetousness is not just sin. It is likened to idolatry. To the worship of images. Created things. The first two of the Ten Commandments says, One, you should have uh, no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth, or in the sea below. You shall not bow down to these things or worship them. What do you do in worship when we come and we worship God? What do we do? We get together. We sing songs of adoration. We try to behold the glory of God. We try to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we just adore him. We exalt him. That's what worship is all about. Well, the Bible is saying in covetousness, people do the same thing for the created things on this earth. In covetousness, you not only long for the things of your neighbor, you devote yourself to these things. Just like a person would devote themselves to God. And the Bible calls this idolatry. For some people, think about it like this. Going to a Louis Vuitton store is no different than going to church. You know, up over at Times Square Mall, people are willing to line up for Louis Vuitton. They are willing to line up outside the store to go into Louis Vuitton. Man, I remember Aaron, Aaron was one time, she was like, let's go inside and look. I was like, I'm not waiting in that line. I'm not going to wait in line for Louis Vuitton. I waited in line for God. When I was in New York City, I waited in line for the Hillsong service. But I ain't waiting in line for some luxury product. Right? But for a lot of people, going to Louis Vuitton stores, like going to church, they go in and they behold all of the luxurious products as if the store was an altar. But think about it. The whole store is devoted to these products. And they're very expensive products. And then they then devote themselves to save all the money they can to get the next newest product. No matter what their income level. They worship the gifts rather than the giver. And the Bible condemns this as idolatry. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Covetousness is idolatry. Because by you coveting and yearning and obsessing over these good things on this earth. Or even over money. You are bringing these things in competition to your devotion and worship of God. And the Bible condemns it very directly that this is a form of idolatry. Do you use money to serve God or do you use God to serve money? 
You cannot serve both. Now, I'm going to talk about two primary ways. So, so my first three points is covetousness is sin, which is more like it's likened to idolatry. Covetousness is foolish. Covetousness is deceitful. Now, I'm going to talk about two primary ways in which covetousness manifests itself in our culture. I'm going to name them right away. One is materialism. Everybody say materialism. Second is miserliness. Everyone say miserliness. Okay, let me talk about materialism. Two primary ways in which covetousness manifests in our culture. Number one is materialism. The spirit of covetousness manifests most strongly in our generation in a form called materialism. Materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Oxford American Dictionary. Materialism is when you spend, spend, spend to get what you covet. Or, if you have a testimony like my wife, you steal, steal, steal to get what you covet. My wife used to be a kleptomaniac, expert shoplifter. That was her old life, though. Don't worry, you can invite her over. (laughs) She won't steal nothing. You know, a little over a month ago, a music video came out by a Korean artist named Psy. And it's become insanely popular all over the world. As of last night, it had eight, over 86 million hits on YouTube. The video has garnered attention from Justin Bieber's manager, from Billboard. Even T-Pain and other celebrities, they tweeted about it. And even last week, NFL players started doing the signature horse dance in the end zone. All right, this thing has taken off where many other Korean uh, songs have failed. Psy was able to actually cross over into the mainstream, to the global mainstream market. But I was reading an article about this song in the Atlantic website. And it was talking about how the music video and song are not just slapstick comedy. Psy, who attended Boston University and graduated from Berklee College of Music, is actually sending you don't think that, right? You're doing all this. <laughs> That's not Berkeley. Uh, he graduated from these good schools. He actually is, he's actually using the song to send a subtle message about the sad state of affairs in Korean society. In other words, the music video is a satire. He's using humor and exaggeration to expose the unhealthy obsessions that Koreans have with materialism. You know, in 2010, the average household in Korea carried credit card debt worth a staggering 155% of their disposable income. This is higher than the 138% that U.S. families had right before the subprime mortgage crisis. Koreans have been living off of high credit since the 90s. Before then, it was all cash-driven. But if you really investigate the lives of many of your Korean relatives, and maybe some of the Koreans in here, people have credit card debt up to the sky. And Gangnam 
If you guys don't know what Gangnam is, Gangnam is home to 84 billion dollars of the country's wealth. That is 7% of the entire GDP of the country in an area of just 15 square miles. It is also the place of the most ostentatious consumption. The playground of the richest of the rich of this nation is Gangnam. That includes Apgu, Karasukir, Shinsa, whatever. In Korea, there's a, the article is talking about, there's a joke poking fun at women who eat 2,000 won, about $2 ramen for lunch, and then they spend 6,000 won on Starbucks coffee. And Koreans, they call these women Denjangnyo. Denjangnyo. Soybean paste women. Doesn't sound as cool, right? They're called Denjangnyo for their frugality on the essentials, but overspending on luxuries. One of the most common luxuries is coffee. And this can be seen in the explosion of cafes in Seoul. I mean, they're just everywhere. For many Koreans, going to these cafes is about being seen and, and appearing like they have that Gangnam lifestyle, even when they don't. The article talked about how the video is a satire about Gangnam, but it's also about all the Gangnam wannabes. Who, which probably out, far outnumber all the real people that are living the Gangnam lifestyle. Koreans, they are coveting the Gangnam lifestyle because of their materialism. So much that they are willing to spend ungodly amounts of money recklessly to have it. And Sai is simply exposing that. The whole video is about him living in the illusion of the Gangnam lifestyle. But the reality is he can't afford it. In the opening scene, it looks like he's at a nice beach. But it turns out to be a children's playground. <laughs> he looks like he's in a nice sauna with businessmen. But you, the camera zooms out and he's in, just in a local mogatang with the mobsters. He dances not in a nightclub, but in a bus full of ajumas. He wants to ride horses and perhaps play polo like all the rich people do. But the best he can do is pretend he's just riding one. Or go to a merry-go-round. Sai is pointing out the deceitfulness of materialism. And with humor, he's trying to call people to wake up. Because right now, Koreans are getting actually quite disillusioned. Especially in the young generation, as they can't find jobs right now. They're spending all this money to graduate from these nice schools. But many of the young people, they are still at home, living with their mama and papa. Working like minimum wage, lower middle class jobs. They've been living out this Gangnam lifestyle with the hope that one day they will have the wealth to back it up. But they're realizing it looks like they'll never get that kind of lifestyle. And they're getting, there's a mixed emotions now regarding all of this. This is the, re the reason why Koreans have found themselves as a nation in this materialism is because materialism is deceitful. They've been tricked into this lifestyle. We should not overindulge or allow ourselves to be consumed by materialism. 
as God's people, the Bible says there should not be a hint of sexual immorality among you or of greed. This overindulgence, as size music video shows, is actually just full of deception. It cannot deliver what it promises. Yet people are going into incredible debt, forfeiting their soul. They are selling their soul to buy into this lifestyle. All for what? So they can drink overpriced coffee while wearing overpriced clothes. So they can give off the illusion that they're wealthy. What value is there in that? You should be taking care of your kids. You should be saving and budgeting your money. You should be giving to just causes. But it's just all about selfish consumption. Materialism is full of deception. So the first way covetousness manifests in our culture is materialism. I'm talking about the second way, miserliness. People overlook this as well, but this is very important. Second way that covetousness manifests is in miserliness. Another word for it is stinginess. Everybody say stingy. Stingy. Or tight-fistedness. That's what it means. Miserliness is excessive desire to save money. Just like the parable of the rich fool here that Jesus told, the miser here, he hoards and saves up all of his wealth. He refuses to spend it. In materialism, it's all about spending all your money. For misers, it's all about saving all your money. And both is actually a form of covetousness. Misers can even look frugal, godly, noble, modest. But it's actually just, it's just foolishness and deceit. It's another form of covetousness. Because it is driven by greed. Just like materialism is driven by greed, miserliness is also driven by greed. It's rooted, it's driven by greed or fear. Let me talk to you about how ugly miserliness, stinginess can get. Let me talk to you about the world's greatest miser that ever lived, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Now, when I was a kid in sixth grade, my teacher told me about another miser at that time uh, of history that was pretty bad. But this lady was even worse. But she has very similar stories to this other lady I remember from sixth grade that my teacher used to tell me about. Anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, world's greatest miser, Hetty Green. This is from Wikipedia, so I don't know if all of it is accurate. Excuse me. All right, but the world's greatest miser, according to the Guinness Book of Records. He, she was nicknamed the Witch of Wall Street. She never turned on heat, nor she, 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 did she use hot water. She wore one black dress, undergarments that she changed only after they had been worn out. And by the way, she's filthy rich. She ate mostly pies that cost 15 cents. She conducted most of her business at the bank because she refused to pay rent for an office. So she had a legitimate business in real estate. But she used the bank as her office. Talk about stingy, right? This is demonic. Her frugality extended into her family life. Her son, Ned, broke his leg as a child, and she tried to take him to a free clinic for the poor. Eventually, 
this kid had to get his leg amputated because of poor treatment. And there's all these kinds of stories. In her old age, Hetty Green began to suffer from a bad hernia, but she refused to have an operation because it cost $150. She has millions and millions of dollars, but refuses to spend any of it. Now, this is a very extreme case. But in this room, covetousness takes on either form or both in your life. Maybe not as extreme, but it's there. And that's why Jesus says, guard yourself against these things. Uh, Andrew Carnegie, very wealthy man who lived a very drastically different life, became a Christian later in his life. He used to agree with the public saying, quote, the man who dies thus rich, like the miser, the man who dies like a miser, dies disgraced. Andrew Carnegie believed that the state ought to actually pass laws to heavily tax rich people who hoard sums of money but refuse to give it back to the communities from which it came from. He believed that if they died with all of these savings, the the state, the government, should tax those rich people heavily and take that wealth back. Because he just saw this kind of stinginess as wicked. He says, by taxing estates heavily at death, the state marks its condemnation of the selfish millionaire's unworthy life. Carnegie's rhetoric was backed up by his practice. Toward the latter end of his life. Now, this is a rags to riches story. He has the classic rags to riches story. He was an immigrant, I believe, from Ireland or Scotland. He came to America and he started uh, a steel company back in the day. And he just made boatloads of money. He made so much money. History says he was the second richest man ever to live next to Rockefeller. And this is what he did. Carnegie is famous not only for being the second richest man in history, but he's also famous for being one of the greatest philanthropists ever. He funded 3,000 libraries in like four or five different countries. He helped to start the Carnegie Institute of Technology, which is now known as Carnegie Mellon University. He helped Booker T. Washington, black man, create the National Negro Business League. His interest in music led him to funding 7,000 church organs and the building of the Carnegie Hall in New York City, which continues to be a great place of, of music and arts to today. And the list goes on and on. At his death, he had given away over $300 million, $350 million, which adjusted to today is $4.8 billion he gave away before he died. I'm not saying Andrew Carnegie was the perfect Christian or he was just this crazy, generous man. But you know what? He, he wrote this uh, essay that I read, read from an intensive course called The Gospel of Wealth. At a time where people in the church still had the old mindset of wealth. You got to understand that back in the day, it was a very subsistence culture. It was all about survival, going paycheck to paycheck. 
You know, it was very few people enjoy great wealth in history. But after the Industrial Revolution, there was a surge and creation of wealth all over the world. And there were more and more rich people, right? And in that time, Andrew Carnegie tried to write this article to try to give, us a, uh, give people a helpful framework so they don't feel guilty, un, un, needlessly guilty about the funds that they were stewarding. And then he demonstrated it with his life by giving away tons of money. And he did it for great causes. I mean, if it wasn't for Andrew Carnegie, who knows what America would look like? Well, all them libraries, you know, eventually y'all stepped into some of those libraries. You got educated. Or your teachers got educated from those libraries. Miserliness is condemned by Andrew Carnegie, but is also condemned by the scriptures. I believe Andrew Carnegie, he exemplifies what a man can do with that great wealth. Now, materialism is greed in spending miserliness is greed and saving but both are rooted in deception in materialism the deception is these possessions this louis vuitton bag it is going to give you happiness it is going to give you profound sense of worth you wear this and you're going to feel like a million dollars that's the deception of materialism in miserliness, the deception is all of the savings will give you stability. All of these savings, you can use it later for all of these great things. You can buy an island, but you got to save. You can't spend any of it. Save it, save it, save it. But my, my son, his leg got infected. Who cares? Think about the island. All right. Oh, come on, Westfall. Run, run, run. What you doing? Come on, run. I'm running to this flat kick right here. I love Westfall. Don't get me wrong. He knows I love him. I just show him tough love, that's all. All right, thank you. I got one, one bar. Is that okay? All right. Put this back. Satan trying to cut me off. No. Um, anyway, both are rooted in deception. Both are inspired by Satan. You don't want to listen to all these deception and lies in materialism and miserliness. Because, you know, Satan is not your father. God is your father. Satan is the father of lies. So when you believe in lies, you're essentially making him your spiritual father. But we got to break free from this deception. We got to think clearly in regards to wealth and finances. Now, I want to say, I want to pause here and say, just because you enjoy a bit of luxury here and there does not mean that you're in bondage to covetousness. Let's be thinking Christians here. There is nothing wrong with enjoying the finer things in life and appreciating high-end products. If you, if you got certain luxury products as a gift or you bought it for yourself after 
wisely budgeting and saving that money in proportion to your income? Enjoy it. It's okay. Enjoy it. I don't see nothing wrong with that. You know, I got this nice watch here. Now, oh, yeah, this is a nice watch right here. My wife got it for me, right? Probably cost like three, four hundred dollars. Now, when I was growing up, man, the most of my money I spent on the watch is five dollars. I remember as a college student, I'd go to Times Square, and, I, and the homies would open up their little briefcases, and they'd be like, yo, what you need, what you need, what you need, what you need? I got tag, I got Rolex, what you need, what you need, what you need? How much for that? $20. What, $20? You're crazy. $5. Nah, man, you crazy. $5. All right, now take it, take it. That's, a, that's about as much as I ever spent on watches. But when I got married... I open up my heart. Now, look, I don't get crazy expensive watches every four months. That's bondage. But, you know, every few years, if my wife wants to get me a nice watch or if I save up, and I'm not, I'm not sacrificing something else, but I save that up wisely, and I want to spend on a nice watch, that's my prerogative. Or you don't even know how I got it. I might have got it as a gift. I might have got it because I bought it. But you know what? It's none of your business. <laughs> You're not my police. So I'm, I'm saying, I'm going to present to you that there is a way to enjoy luxury where you don't have to feel condemned. You know, for a nomadic family, the patriarchs, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were incredibly wealthy. They had all these servants and butlers, livestock, which is the equivalent of like cars. They had cars and cars. They had all these luxurious possessions. Solomon was also surrounded by great luxury, including his father, David, who used to be a shepherd boy. Eventually, he was surrounded by great luxury. Job, who wasn't a king or a patriarch, he lived in lavish luxury. Well, you could say, well, then God let it be taken away. Okay, well, look at the end of Job. At the end of his life, when God restores him, he gets double the luxury that he enjoyed before it was taken away from him. If God was trying to give him a lesson in materialism, that seems like a strange way to do it. There was no guilt associated with it. Revelation says the new heaven is paved in gold. I mean, if you don't learn to appreciate a bit of luxury now, what are you going to do when you get to see the new heavens and the new earth? You're going to accuse God of materialism? <laughs> what is your view of the patriarchs? What do you think? They were just greedy, idolatrous, covetous men? David, Job, Solomon, Daniel, all these guys. Do you see them in the same category as you see the CEO of Enron? The CEO of AIG, all these Bernie Madoff, all these people that unjustly gained their wealth. Let's make a distinction here. Those guys coveted and they got that gain unjustly. But these guys in the scriptures, they got there through the favor and goodness of God. By the calling of God on their lives. Although they enjoyed great luxury, they didn't get there in the same ways. They both enjoyed the same luxury, but they didn't get there in the same ways, and they didn't store it in the same ways. 
I do not believe enjoying luxury is a vice. It's not an evil in itself. Some things are so good, they shouldn't be an overpriced luxury, but an affordable essential. Let me give you an example. Really nice resorts for vacation. I don't think this should be just an overpriced luxury for the rich. I believe everybody, it should be an affordable essential that everybody can enjoy when they go on vacation. And in Thailand, it is. You go to Phuket, you can pay the amount of money you get like a little dingy uh, hotel room in Seoul. You get this huge resort with this huge pool wrapping around the whole resort in Phuket. All right, I'm just saying, if you didn't know. Or a well-equipped and safe car with airbags, auto windows, bright dashboard, keyless entry, Bluetooth connectivity. These things, I don't think they should just be an overpriced luxury. They should be affordable essential. And at one point, they were overpriced luxuries. Airbags is only for the rich people. You know, if you were poor, you you put on your seatbelt and you prayed and you drove. (laughs) But what happened? Eventually, eventually everybody got airbags. That's the way it should be. Some things are so good, it shouldn't be a luxury. It should be accessible to everybody. If you go to India, some of the things that the kids... Uh, see us living with, they think it's a luxury. It's sad because no, it's not just a luxury. This should should be a basic essential for your life. An education. This shouldn't be a luxury for you guys in India or in Cambodia. Having access to clean water, clean clothes. This is not a luxury. It should be essential. So think, be a thinking Christian regarding luxury. Luxury is a nice way to occasionally bless your loved ones or reward yourself. If you reward yourself all the time and you put yourself in back-breaking debt, you're probably in bondage to covetousness. But I'm talking about budgeting wisely and using your savings to get something nice for your wife, nice for yourself occasionally. Ain't nothing wrong with that. In fact, don't condemn luxury so fast because today's luxuries can become tomorrow's essentials. Smartphones, even cell phones. Remember back in the day? Saved by the bell? Crazy old cell phone looked like three bricks put together with a rubber band. They're big old things, you know? Hello? And it was a luxury. What the rest of us? We had to carry around little pagers. Beep, 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 beep. That's if you even had enough money to get a pager. But eventually, what happened? Now everybody has a smartphone. And in most Western countries, you can get a smartphone. If you live in even lower middle class, you can get a smartphone. 95% of this church, you have a smartphone. That was from just the difference from two years ago. Uh, flat screen TVs. Oh, back in the day, only the rich people had these big old, like huge flat screen, flat screen TVs. It wasn't flat screen back then. It was just a big screen TV with a big old back. And it took like five people and they had to like open up your window and take out the glass and in order to get it in your house. But today, you can get an affordable flat screen TV no matter what income level you have. Don't condemn the luxuries of today because some of them are going to be the essentials of tomorrow. Uh, Another example, computers. Do you know that computers was a luxury at one point? Way back in the day, only IBM had these huge mainframe computers. And only big businesses had computers. You had to punch these cards. It was crazy. It, it, 
it, it would heat up the whole city because it was so hot. <laughs> But eventually, Apple and Microsoft came on the scene and they decided with this crazy idea, well, why, do, why don't we get a, make a computer that each and every person can have at home? And in the beginning, it was very expensive. But eventually, those prices came down. Software got better and better. What happens today? Every one of y'all knuckleheads has a computer, and you know how to use it. Enjoying luxury is not the problem. Coveting luxury is. Jesus said, guard against covetousness and wealth. The covetousness that comes with wealth, not to abandon wealth altogether. Right? He didn't say in this parable, you know, take care, uh, be on your guard against all covetousness. He didn't say, he said that. He didn't say, take, you know, beware and, and forsake all forms of material wealth on the earth. Or you're going to end up like this fool. Christ didn't say that. Christ said, beware and guard yourself from this, this covetousness. If you've accumulated wealth as a result of God's goodness and favor and blessing on your life, I say make no apologies for it. Even if people accuse you of being greedy and materialistic or miserly, if those things aren't true, let th- don't let those condemnations stick to you. Don't let those condemnations affect your decisions. You have a bigger calling than that. Your calling is not to please everybody. Your calling is to do the will of God. And the will of God... Takes money. Right now, the wicked is holding on to way too much money. It's the righteous. We need to possess some of this wealth. And when we possess this wealth, we're going to confront injustice. We're going to build schools. We're going to provide jobs, etc., etc., etc. Who knows? Maybe the next Andrew Carnegie is in this room. You'll give away $5 billion worth of your wealth. To build church organs everywhere. <laughs> 7,000 church organs. That's crazy. So covetousness is foolish. It's deceitful. It is a form of idolatry. So let us guard our hearts against covetousness. And let's have a healthy view of modesty and luxury. And how do we, how do we fight covetousness? If you keep my first two messages in mind, it helps a lot. How to steward financial prosperity. My first message, my two key points were, it's not about steward, it's not about ownership, it's about stewardship. When you understand that, you will make sure that you don't covet. You don't, you guard yourself from covetousness because you understand the wealth that you have is not your wealth. It doesn't belong to you. You're there to manage it. Second is it's about expectation, not entitlement. You know, In one sense, the Occupy movement is completely full of covetousness. It's not just about a reaction against the injustices and corruption they see upon upon the executives, the CEOs. It's about covetousness and entitlement to that same lifestyle or to a lifestyle closer to that. And they're, they're angry not because they're just reacting. They're angry because they feel a sense of entitlement to live that kind of lifestyle. Occupy movement. There's there's quite a bit of covetousness there, and you got to be careful not to go out, you know, onto city hall and start camping out with all them other folks. You don't know what spirit they have. 
social mobility is important. Upwards and downwards. So long as you always have that ability, have social mobility downwards. That when you come to a church like this and later on in 10 years is mixed up with all people of all income levels. And you're still willing to associate with each and every one without making any discrimination about what they wear or what hair color or or, or what their skin color or, 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 or the clothes that they're wearing. You make no discrimination. You love on each and every one. That's social mobility downwards. Just like Jesus did for you. You need to do for others. Love. Love. Is the best way. Love your neighbor. Right? Uh, The Bible says, I believe in Romans, it says, love your neighbor. This command, it sums up all the other commands. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. If you will love your neighbor, that's a great way practically to fight covetousness. Is to be, be in the spirit of love. Let me just close with a couple more points. Spend within your budget. Do not try to live the Oppa Gangnam lifestyle. Hey, tell your neighbor, do not live the Oppa Gangnam lifestyle. <laughs> Don't covet it. Don't have a sense of entitlement to these things. Let your life reflect where you're at, your income level. Number two, give away your wealth in proportion to your income, to the poor, to the oppressed, to kingdom purposes. You know, there's another parable Jesus told about a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. Now, here's the thing about about this parable. Traditionally, it's been understood as a parable to condemn all wealthy people. That it shows that wealthy people, you go to hell. You see this parable? The rich man goes to hell. Lazarus, the beggar, goes to Abraham's bosom. So shall it be for wealthy people. And so that's the traditional interpretation, actually. That literal kind of interpretation was what the church used to institutionalize certain almsgiving. That's what I learned in my class. It's really crazy, right? But if you really are thinking Christian about that parable, Jesus, the rich man here, is not condemned for being rich. He is condemned for ignoring Lazarus. That's what he's condemned for. Abraham says to the rich man, in your lifetime, you enjoy good things while Lazarus was just poor at your doorstep and you didn't do nothing for him. So now it's reversed. Get over it. The man was not condemned for being rich. It was for ignoring the beggar. And in this way, we got to give away our wealth in proportion to your income. You got to give it away and you got to use it, mobilize it. You use money to serve God, not the other way around. Use God to serve money. And last, this is a little point that I got from Mark Driscoll, self-legalism. Self-legalism. I mean, let me just close with this. All right, try to understand this concept. Self-legalism. When it comes to wealth, some people are more prone to fall into covetousness than others. Depends on your background, your experiences, how you've dealt with your poverty or wealth in the past. How your parents have dealt with it, what they, what, how they think about it. Is that one out of fear? The one out of selfish ambition? Was there bribery involved? Like all these things, it affects whether you're vulnerable to covetous or not on every income level. So one thing that you can do, Jesus said this. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It's better for you to enter life without a hand than for your whole body to get thrown into hell. Your eye caused your, your sin, pluck it out. Better for you to go into heaven blind than for your whole body to be thrown into fires of hell. What was Jesus saying? Jesus is using a hyperbole. Of course he doesn't want you to cut off your hand, right? Right? You punch somebody in the face, cut off that hand. No, right? No. He's using a hyperbole. He says, the things that cause you to sin, sometimes you need to take some extreme measures to keep it in check. And so in, a, in that same spirit, if you're more prone to covetousness, sometimes what you might do is make a rule for yourself to guard yourself. Jesus, remember the original message that Jesus gave. Guard yourself from all types of covetousness. How do you guard yourself? One is self-legalism. Um, for example, Rick Warren, what he did was he made millions of dollars from his broke proceeds. A purpose-driven church, purpose-driven life. I mean, he's made tons of money. And you know what Rick Warren does? This is just a self-legalism that he put on himself. He reverse tithes. Some of y'all have a hard time tithing 10% of your income. Well, Rick Warren tithes 90% of all of his brook proceeds. That's like millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. He does that to guard his heart from covetousness. Uh, there could be a lot of different things that you can do, right? For self-legalism. But here's what you can't do. You can't take a legalism that you've set for yourself. And I'm using this in a, in a kind of positive way. A rule, a rule of life that you set for yourself in regards to money to keep yourself in check. You can't use that rule on somebody else. You know what I'm saying? You can cut off your hand, but don't go around chopping off other people's hands is what I'm trying to say. But you know, so many Christians do that. So many Bible teachers do that. They preach to a wealthy American congregation and they condemn the materialism there. And rightly so, they should repent. Rightly so, they should repent because they're not using their wealth in a selfless way. They're not using it to serve God. They're in covetousness. Rightly so, they should be condemned. They should repent. But in doing that, they set down all these guidelines and all of these convictions that are not based on the word of God. They're just based on their own selfish legalism for their life. They go, well, this works for me, so all of y'all should also submit to these things. And in fact, if I just give it to you as a suggestion, you might not take it. So let me give it to you as a rule, as teaching, a biblical teaching for everybody. And they call us to forsake it all, to live this frugal, modest life. And if you accumulate any kind of wealth, you're living in greed and idolatry and covetousness. And you know what? I simply do not Agree. Do not use your self-legalism rules on other people. But check this out. Let me warn you all right now. The majority of you in here, you're going to need to set up some kind of rules. Because you're laughing at Sai doing the Opa Gangnam style dance right now. But you're going to be living just like him if you don't be careful. Especially as you climb the social ladder. How many of y'all, how many of y'all pay for Starbucks like 6,000 won for a coffee at least once a week? Raise your hand. Once a week. How many of y'all spend at least once a week? How about twice a week? Let's just be real. For some of y'all, it's every day. Every day. Here's, Here's a little advice for you. Buy some of that instant coffee. 
the little Obegon things with the stir. You know, you just take it out, you put it in, you stir. All right, ease up on that. Check this out. You're addicted to a drug. It's okay to enjoy coffee little by little, but it's not okay to be addicted and lose all your income over it. At the end of your life, God said, I called you to confront this injustice. I called you to open up these schools. What happened? Starbucks. And God will be like, come over here because I'm about to elbow drop you right now. Let me close in prayer. You know, this is actually quite serious, right? It's quite serious because covetousness has snuck into many people's lives. You can be poor, you can be rich, but covetousness really is a form of idolatry and we have to keep guard for these, from these things. So I'm, I'm going to give you all a moment right now. All right, so let come up. If you are struggling with materialism, I'm going to pray for you. But I want you to stand up. Just stand up. If you're struggling with materialism and you know you've been in all this credit card debt or you've been overspending, you have to constantly ask your parents for money if you're a college student because you just, you just not been stewarding that, that money right. And you think that the, all the problems will be solved when you make tons of money. And that's just a lie. All the problems will be solved when you deal with your heart and you put God as number one in your life. Whether it's materialism or miserliness. If you're struggling with miserliness, I'm telling you right now, look at the story of that woman. That is a demonic bondage. I want you to stand up because I'm going to pray for you as well. I want to pray for you. All right. Give a moment right now. Everybody else, I want all of you to take the wisdom that was preached from this message and begin to pray it over your heart right now. Everybody. Because every one of y'all is not immune to these things. Every one of y'all. Start to pray right now. Come on. My church.